Have you ever just had one of those really awkward encounters where you just like a situation you cannot get out of? It's my it's my entire life, yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds like literally <laughs> AKA every day. <laughs> every single day. Right. So I got this uh, I got a wedding band. My aunt for Christmas, she gifted me one of hers. That's like part of her set, but she wanted me to have it. Oh, it's um, really lovely. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was so touching and it was really beautiful, but it is like five sizes too big for my finger. And so obviously I've got to go and get it resized. So I go to this jeweler who is like, I think that jeweler's been there for like 200 years. It's it's one of the nicer ones in where we live, maybe the nicest. And I'd been in there before, and the lady in there was like, well, because it has the shape of it, it has to come down quite a lot. I don't know that we can resize it that small without, like, literally redoing the whole ring. So he's like, come back. So I came back this week, and um, she went to get the actual jeweler, and he came down. And he comes down, and he's like, yeah, 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 we can do this. We can do that. And he's, like, talking me through it, which I was just like, yeah, whatever. I don't need to know. Just do it. <laughs> You're just, like, make it fit my hand. But then he just – okay. So – I was there for 25 minutes after that, after he told me that, 25 minutes. I was, I needed to go meet my husband for coffee, but I was stuck for 25 minutes with this guy. I, I didn't really understand. It was the most awkward situation. The lady next to him was holding the receipt for my, for me to come and pick it back up for 25 minutes while he stood there and just like chatted me up, I would say. I don't know what it was. He was like going on. I'll tell you, Mr. Jeweler Man is 49 years old. He lives in a um, <laughs> in a semi <laughs> in town. He just moved, and he was telling me about redoing his kitchen. And he made some – I couldn't really tell what was going on. But the conversation, he was asking me about something, and it, it turned to the to Brighton, which we all know Brighton's by, like, the seaside um, if you're not from the U.K., and he proceeds to tell me about – yeah, I remember going there and taking my son there long time ago. He's like 40 now or whatever, um, 30. And yeah, we went to this dolphin show. There was Apparently there was dolphins there at one time. Um, and the dolphins started shagging. And so they had to like close the curtain. I was trying to explain to my son about the like what they were doing because they were doing – he was saying they were performing different kinds of tricks. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, Ooh. my God. I know. I know. <laughs> like – I just came in to get my ring resized. I don't want to hear about freaking, you know, the dolphins mating. Like, what? <laughs> what? What is going on here? If, I could understand if it was like an on-topic conversation. Like, he was talking about diamonds or a ruby he once had. But, like, talking about dolphins fucking is just, it's just weird. <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah. And I think I know the jewelers because I think I go there. <laughs> I know. I, I bet you do. We'll discuss not here. Next time sure you, you go in, ask him about Brighton. Yeah. He's never chatted me up. I'm fucking furious. And he, uh, 25 minutes I was there. And he, do you know what? He kept saying things like, he's like, yeah, well, your age, you're so young. And I'm like, dude, I'm not that young. <laughs> but I had a, like a hat on and I didn't have any makeup on. I just finished my work. I was like sweaty and gross. Like I just wanted to run by and like drop it off. And then I was like, yeah, I, it was the most bizarre turn of conversation. And I just couldn't get away because every time I've been trying to, you know, when you try to wait for that break, and you're like, so you can just leave? It just didn't happen, and I couldn't get away, so I missed my coffee date. <laughs> so, Jesus, that was um, that was my awkward encounter of the week.
Hi, everyone, and welcome to Murder Friends, the podcast where three friends from three different countries talk about murder. My name's Lana, and I'm Canadian. I'm Anna, and I'm American. My name's Hannah, and I'm British. So sit back and relax. You are among friends, and let's talk murder. Before we talk about murder, have I told you about my ghost? Mm, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're like, excuse me. Yes. Um, so I live in a really old house. It's not really old, but it's like older and I'm convinced that it's got a ghost in it because weird things happen, like, all the time. And normally I just kind of, like, ignore it. So I'll come down in the morning and there'll be, like, a cupboard door open. Or um, once my friend came over and she left her keys on my kitchen right side and um, we went into, like, my lounge to get some wine and we came back in to the kitchen and her keys were in the middle of the kitchen floor. Oh, I just got to chill. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you hear footsteps and you hear, like, knocking and tapping and things, which I just thought the house is old and creaky. But, yeah, I was, I've was i always been like, my house is haunted in, like, a jokey fashion. But the other day I was um, getting something out of my car and I was walking back down the side of my house and um, my postman walked around the corner and, like, do you know when you live in, like, a quiet area, you kind of, like, know your postman? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I know my postman. He's called Steve. Lovely man. Big fan. Mm. He was just like, how did you get around there? I was like, I was just getting something out of my car, Steve. Like, calm down. Because he had something for me to sign for. And he was like, no, no, no. You, you were in the house. You were in the house a minute ago. I saw you in the window. I was like, excuse me, bitch. Oh, no, 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 no. So there's me panicking, thinking there's someone inside my house. So I'm like flicking on like the security cameras on my phone, like shaking. And there's nothing in my house at all. So I, he gives me my parcel and like I sign for it. And then he just fucks off. I'm like, thanks, Steve. Thanks. Don't worry, Cheers, mate. Steve. Don't, don't yeah. worry, I'll go in my haunted house alone. So I open the front door. One of my cats comes like screaming towards me, like all puffed up and fluffed up. Um, I couldn't find the other one. And now I'm convinced that there was a ghost in my house oh looking my out God. a window at oh, my postman. Oh, God. My postman was like adamant that someone was in my house. I have two theories on that. Number one. Well, my number one theory, <laughs> perhaps it's your creepy ass dolls. Leave my creepy Coming dolls to life. Oh, yes. We ha- yeah. I don't think we've discussed all the dolls yet. No, we need you to talk about that. You say all the dolls. Like, I've got a fucking huge collection of them. <laughs> if there's more what than it? one, if there's more than one, you're allowed to say all the dolls. One isn't oh. even a doll. <laughs> one is a creepy doll that you dare talk about Glenda, because I will send her to you. And then your house will be haunted. And the other one is a marionette. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll put pictures of them on our Instagram and you can decide whether or not they're creepy. Yes. Yes, we will do that. Number two theory, it's mm-hmm. actually your cats fucking with you. Like, I just imagine you walk out of the house and like, like, you know, like th- they stand on top of each other's shoulders and like they're up and they have <laughs> like, like a little like. kids in a trench like, coat? <laughs> yeah, yeah like in a trench coat. On. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my second theory. <laughs> Could happen. I don't like it. <laughs> but now I'm just like scared to be in my house on my own. Yeah, I don't think Yeah, it's you. one thing to hear like knocking and footsteps and stuff because I mean, any old house, you're going to hear that sort of stuff. But to yeah. have someone else say that they see something is like nightmare fuel. Yeah. That it's is just, horrible. Uh, so, yeah. So, how are you sleeping? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> So for true crime news today, I've got a few things for you. Now, the first thing is Peter Madsen, Russian artist marries Danish submarine killer. 
So do you guys know, do you remember Peter Madsen, the guy that killed the journalist, Kim Wall? Do you remember on a submarine? Do you remember that? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my God. I haven't heard that name in ages. I know. Somebody married him. Right. So a Russian artist living in self-imposed exile in Finland has defended her marriage to the notorious jailed Danish killer. Her name is Jenny Kirpin. She married him on 19th of December, according to her Facebook page. She has received many hostile messages, some calling her crazy. No fucking shit, lady. Um, So obviously, if you're not sure, he was given a life sentence on April 2018 for the sexual assault and murder of Swedish journalist Kim Wall. Her dismembered body was found after she had boarded his submarine. He wrote on Friday, so this was um, from two weeks ago, that he won't be able to have any access to internet to receive and react to your messages. If you still have any need to interact, feel free to contact my wife via Facebook. This whole thing's just bizarre. So she lives in the Finnish town of Salo. Salo? Am I saying that right? Salo? Oh, God I'm not sure. I apologize, Finland. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All of Finland. All of, all, the whole, the whole country. She actually lives with another Russian, which I'm really confused about this. This whole situation is just odd. Uh, Another Russian political exile, and they have two infant sons. So. Together? Together. I'm so confused. But she's now married to – the infant suggests very young children, obviously. Yeah. Tiny babies. It's all, it's strange. So he's actually – he's now admitted definitely to dismembering her body. But he claimed that she died in an accident on the submarine that he built. But her headless torso washed up on the beach. And divers found it later on. So originally – she described herself, she described herself as an artist, and she told BBC um, that her marriage to Madsen was a genuine, not just part of an art project she had announced beforehand. So she is doing apparently an art project called This Is Not The Peter We Knew, but then now she's claimed it's genuine and she's fallen in love with him. Oh, so that's, that's where we are with that. I just thought that that was um, an interesting... Do, what do you think? Do you think prisoners should be allowed to get married and have like do all these things? Yeah, 100%. But yeah. I question the sincerity. I know. It's just so very it. odd. I mean, if you if you love someone, yeah, get married. But It kind of reminds me of, in Canada, we have Paul Bernardo, who I haven't oh. done for a true crime yet because I don't know how to make that story not horrific. But he was like this huge um, murderous rapist in Canada and is in prison for life. And he gets uh, – he's married – um, as far as I know, he's still married. He gets like attention for that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of stuff in the news about how we shouldn't be writing stories about that. Like he does not need to be in the newspaper anymore. Like we can just go ahead and forget about him. And there's yeah. actually um, drama. He wrote, I think it was Paul Bernardo. He wrote a book from prison and got it published on Amazon and was making money from it until finally people were like, um, you need to pull this off of Amazon, please. Like, he should not – he does not need any more attention, nor does this uh, – the submarine guy. Like, they can get married, sure, but they don't need th- that attention. I mean, in the yeah. UK, you're not allowed to, like, profit off your – Yeah, neither in the US, crimes, too. Yeah, because there was that woman, Gemma, she helped her husband fake his death. He went kayaking or something. And then she wrote a book and she was on like This Morning and stuff, which is like a morning breakfast show in the UK. 
Yeah. And that was like a really big, everyone was call, kind of like calling that into to question about whether or not she should have been allowed to do that in the first place. Mm. That's, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that we, I think they call it the Son of Sam law in America because he, is it David Berkowitz? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, I think, wrote a book. There, that, that's when that issue came into play. He was trying to profit off his crimes as well. And then they've, you know, stopped all that. So it's it's interesting anyway. I don't know. The, the I guess I'll never understand fans of murderers. You see it sometimes, like, because obviously we have, well, we're really into true crime. But in no way do I glorify, like, serial killers. Like, who's your favorite serial killer? It's like, none of them. Because that's, it's They're awful. Great. Like, yeah. No. <laughs> All right. My next true crime news is an update on Jeffrey Epstein. Obviously, there has been the probably one of the biggest conspiracy theories I've seen in my entire life is the fact that, in fact, he did not kill himself. And obviously, there was the memes that went around for a solid, I don't know, <laughs> two months. But so recently, prosecutors have said that the suicide attempt video um a lot of the footage had been has been permanently deleted so the videos from that night seems reasonable (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah um yeah so the prosecutors have announced that they saved the wrong floor apparently of the videos because obviously you know how it goes like a lot of times it will eventually tape over not tape over but it will wipe it and then after however long, whether it be a week or a few days or whatever it is. Well, apparently they saved the wrong floor. So that's convenient. I think it's interesting that with the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, that has been, I think, like the most... I can't think of the word. Um, Okay, so we are interested in conspiracy theories because, of course... And we talk about different ones on the podcast or just, you know, when we're getting coffee, like regular humans. Yeah. But there's a lot of ones that aren't so well known. And I feel like the Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself is the most like mainstream conspiracy theory. Like your 10 year old nephew knows about it and your 80 year old (laughs) grandfather knows about it. Like everybody is in on this one. Do you think that was down to all the memes? Because that was like, I'm not being a but like, that was the so. highlight of the decade last year, wasn't it? The it was, the, it was. the Epstein memes. Some of them were yeah, so that. good. Some of them were so clever. I loved it. Yeah, I think we had a lot that we shared in our um, WhatsApp group. <laughs> just back <laughs> yes, and forth. Just back and forth of yeah, Jeffrey Epstein memes. Yeah, also, they released a bunch of, which you can, if you want to, look online, which I think even like the Daily Mail or the Daily Fail <laughs> published. They showed his, his like actual pictures of his body they published those oh, and his neck i saw those did you see those and they saw his neck because i guess it's a bit like controversial about the some of the bones that were broken like in his neck are actually more conducive of like being strangulated rather than yeah hanging and that's a the pictures that i saw there was a couple of his cell and there was like orange jumpsuits everywhere. And it's like, yeah. why does he have so many orange? Like, what are you like? That makes no sense. And I guess the idea was that he had tied some of the jumpsuits together to strangle himself. But the pictures were strange because the ligature marks marks on his neck are quite low down. So it kind of looks like if somebody was pulling it from behind and you are moving forward, like it would kind of come down. 
if that yeah. makes sense at all. Whereas, like, if you had hung, it would be quite high up, right, because of the weight and yeah. stuff. So everybody was like, ah, conspiracy. And yeah. It's just yes. fueling the fire, the conspiracy fire, honestly. So, yeah, I wanted to share those updates because that was, you know, new. And I don't think anybody actually believes that he died by suicide. I'm pretty sure everyone is convinced. All right, my final one today, which is pretty grim, but I wanted to share it. And that was, and actually Hannah brought this to my attention a little while back. Man, 29, arrested as Britain's worst pedophile, Richard Huckle, stabbed to death in cell. So if you're not in the UK, there was, Richard Huckle was basically one of the most prolific pedophiles ever, um, ever, that they've been able to ever like sort of prove, take to jail, etc., try. And a 29-year-old man has been arrested on suspicion of murder after Richard Huckle died at HMP Full Sutton in Yorkshire on October 13th. Huckle was fatally stabbed in his cell with a makeshift blade. And now they today are recently they've arrested who they believe did it. So a little bit about him. He was given 22 life sentences at the Old Bailey in 2016 for an unprecedented number of offenses against children between 6 months and 12 years. And I won't go too far into any of that, but basically he he's actually from Kent. And what he used to do was sell images on the dark web. He was actually writing a book about how to abuse children. And what he did was he masked himself as a... He would go to like Malaysia and places like that where he was trying to help underprivileged children and masking it like with the church when actually what he was doing is for the sole purpose of child abuse. But I think I believe the Australian authorities sort of discovered it all and were able to find him. They alerted the, you know, Britain about it and they arrested him at the airport and that's how he was caught. But obviously he got a different kind of justice, um, which I know it's kind of like notorious that pedophiles and like people who do things to children don't usually fare very well in prison, do they? No, not at all. But to be honest with you, I'm not going to cry myself to sleep about it. So. No, no. no. He is disgusting. Yeah, no, it was really awful. But I guess in a way, you know, somebody t- took a different form of justice. <laughs> Shouldn't have done it. <laughs> Shouldn't have done it, yeah. So this week for our review section, I wanted to talk about the confession killer. Now, I know we were all sort of at different spots. Um, Did you guys end up finishing it or did you watch a little bit of it? I watched, I think, three episodes. So did I. Around Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the confession killer is five parts. But to be honest, quite a bit was padded out, I'd say. So... I mean, you guys got the gist of it, really. Yeah. But it, yeah, it is all about Henry Lee Lucas, who allegedly technically confessed to over 100 crimes to the Texas Rangers. So I actually, and I don't know why, and please don't judge me, I never heard of him before. And I don't know how that is possible. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know. I Have just. Have you heard the name before or anything? No, nothing. Which is, wow. I like, na- after watching it, and as I was watching it, I'm just like, how do I not know this guy's name? Like, he's associated with 
hundreds of crimes, rightfully or wrongfully, obviously, you make your decision. But so the Netflix documentary primarily focuses on once he was arrested and then uh, covers the questions sort of surrounding all of these confessions. But as someone who had no idea who Henry was, I thought it might be interesting to sort of talk about his prior history and kind of give you a background on him. And then if you want, you can go into the confession killer and there's still like so much more information, but it doesn't really cover this kind of stuff. So Henry was born in 1936 in a one-room log cabin in Virginia, if you want to just set the scene. His mother was a sex worker, and there are a couple of counts, accounts that she would force Henry to watch her with her clients and um, a lot of sort of child abuse stuff happening. Not very nice. 10 years or before he was even 10, Henry's alcoholic father died of hypothermia. Um, When he was coming home drunk, he collapsed outside in a blizzard and died. Shortly thereafter, while in sixth grade, Henry dropped out of school and ran away from home, drifting sort of throughout Virginia. I think the beginning portion of his life is very interesting when you start watching the documentary, but we'll, we'll get to that in a sec. Henry claimed to have committed his first murder in 1951 when he strangled 17-year-old Laura Burnsley after she refused his sexual advances. As with most of his confessions, which we'll get into later, he later retracted this particular crime. But that is in 1951. She was just 17. A few years later, he was convicted of dozens of burglary offenses and sentenced to four years in prison. Fascinatingly, he escapes and then is recaptured three days later and serves his time until 1959. At this point, he ditches Virginia. He's going to try something new. He goes to Michigan to live with his half-sister, Opal. So around this time, Henry was actually engaged to marry a pen pal with whom he corresponded while he was incarcerated, which kind of comes into the submarine killer guy. Yes, exactly. I don't really know the mindset there. I'm sure there's lots of stuff you could unpick, but that is for another day. So when his mother, um, who's still alive at this point, comes to visit them at Christmas, she disapproves of the fiancé. She insists that he has to move back to Virginia. You know, he has to look after his mother. She's very disappointed and upset with all his choices, all that kind of stuff. They have this big argument, and she heads back to Virginia. In 1960, Henry decides he's going to kill his mother. Oh, all right. Okay. I mean, we're going we're going there. That's where he's going. All right. Apparently, they had some sort of huge blowout fight and he claims that he struck her over the head with a broom or he he claims mom hit him with a broom, so he stabbed her with an uh, a knife because obviously that that's... seems yeah, seems about even. Yeah, definitely. At this point, he flees the scene. The half-sister, Opal, comes back, finds that the mother is actually still alive, but is, like, heavily bleeding. They call an ambulance, but the mother does die. Um, However, the official police report stated she died of a heart attack, not from the actual assault itself, which is very strange. 
So Henry claims that he killed his mother in self-defense, but his claim was rejected and he was sentenced to prison in Michigan for second-degree murder. After serving just 10 years, he was released in 1970 due to prison overcrowding. So here we have a guy who has a horrific upbringing and childhood. He leaves school at grade six. And I think when you're in grade six, you're like... 11? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say about 11. So left school at 11. We think potentially already strangled a young girl, but hasn't really caught up with him. And now he's killed his mother. But after 10 years, they're like, you know what? We don't have space for you. So out you go. Bonkers. (laughs) Yeah. You hear that so much in these stories. Like, can they release like someone who had like a drug charge? Yeah. Like maybe someone selling a little bit of pot maybe could have. Could have gone Maybe get home. rid of those people first before, you know, murderers. Yeah. Just an opinion. A year after getting out of prison, guess what? Henry was convicted of attempting to kidnap three schoolgirls while serving a five-year sentence for um, that crime. He established a relationship with a family friend um, who had written to them. Guess what? They get married when he's finally released, but he leaves the marriage shortly afterwards because there's accusations that he was potentially abusing the woman's daughter. Just a whole lot of messed up stuff. But at this point, he's kind of just like, he's sort of bouncing from place to place. He has no real connections to anything or anyone. He's just kind of like a loner, you know, that sort of image. At this point, he thinks, well, I've got nothing going for me, so... Why don't I go to Florida? (laughs) Because why not? It is here in Florida that Henry befriends Otis Toole and actually lived with Toole's parents. And he became extremely close to his adolescent niece, Frida Becky Powell, goes by Becky. Becky had a mild intellectual impairment which who knows exactly what that means, and escaped from a juvenile detention center. So as Henry's sort of establishing himself in Florida, hanging out with Otis, who is not a good guy, and we will find out next week in our True Crime 101, Otis makes an appearance. Henry's getting very close with this Becky girl, and Becky herself does not have an easy time either. She's put in a state's shelter she she's not not having a good time and here comes henry he convinces her to run away with him and they live on the road eventually traveling to california where they find this woman who says hey could you guys look after my ill mother kate rich so naturally they're like sure we'll do it it's a job we're in california they eventually get basically run off the property and off the job because the rich family accuses Henry and the girl Becky of basically like writing bad checks and, um, I don't know, not working, which was, you know, a big surprise. So we go back to another period of just sort of jumping around him and Becky, not really landing anywhere. At one point, Henry says that they fought And the girl, Becky, was homesick for Florida and she just kind of wanted to go home. So Henry was like, you know, whatever, and leaves her at a truck stop in Texas. In 1983, he's arrested just for unlawful possession of a firearm firearm by Texas Ranger Phil Ryan. So 
He's arrested for the firearm charge. And later, this is where all the confessions start coming. He confesses to the murder of Becky and of the ill older mother, Kate Rich. So basically, he, and it start, this is where the documentary sort of starts. He basically says, you know, I, I've killed these women, so I thought you guys should know. He leads the, the police to the, the bodies of, well, two bodies. But because the uh, forensic evidence was inconclusive, they couldn't positively identify. But because he was so... Uh, I don't want to say understanding, but he was so cooperative that they really took him at, like at, as credible. Like he can't, he confessed. He showed them to a place where there were two bodies, so everything sort of seems okay. And then, like we see in the documentary, he says something like, "So what are we going to do about the other hundred women that I've killed?" It's like, um, excuse me, <laughs> what? So this is kind of where the documentary starts off. He's been arrested on an unrelated charge. He confesses to these two women murders. He then confesses to hundreds more, hundreds more. And the documentary goes into, well, are these confessions legit? Because if they are, he is one of the brightest and most infamous serial killers of our time. But what I found really interesting in doing the research into this is his past. And, I mean, from my opinion, he seems um, violent. Like, he, he did kill his mother. That's pretty certain. And they do suspect that he did kill Becky and that older woman. So he is capable of killing. But then when you start seeing all the evidence of these cases, hundreds and hundreds of murders, and he never leaves any evidence, and you think... This guy left school at 11, and we're claiming that he is, like, the most prolific serial killer that never left evidence, that never left fingerprints or anything. Like, yeah, it. it I would definitely recommend checking out the doc- documentary. It is a little bit padded, so if you need to skip over stuff, you kind of have to. But what did you guys think of uh, what you've seen? Anybody go first. <laughs> <laughs> so is that, like... So I, I watched a, a bits of it, well, the, the first few episodes, first three, um, over Christmas. And I know I've said it before, but I was really unwell over Christmas. So I had it, like, I was laying in bed and I had my laptop on my lap. And then I, like, sort of, sort of propped up like a, the invalid I was. Um, and I decided that rather than write notes, which is what I normally do, I thought I'd dictate them into my notes app on my phone. Did you really? Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not going to lie. I took a lot of cold medicine, <laughs> and they are, are looking back at them, not a clue. So I, <laughs> oh I, I, I'll read you one. I, I'm going to pick my favourite one. There are there, there are four, um, and then I just start ranting about something else, which I'm not going to bore you with. <laughs> so the last one was, it was such obvious bullshit. Though he killed this payment woman, all of these people, just so he could have had these better provision. It is just so he cared. And I get soft drinks, walk around with handcuffs on. It's bollocks. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's bollocks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Then I had um, Clemmy's relationship with Henry She Lucas, not Lee Lucas, is bizarre. <laughs> and there's nothing you can say that will convince me otherwise. <laughs> 
I mean, you're not wrong. I think we should have a segment every week now. Um, Hannah on cold medicine, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and you're like your musings. Like, Honestly, <laughs> they're hilarious. That's brilliant. There's another one here. It says the unit had this crew come from Japan and they give him presents and they're nice to him and it's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? So yeah, it was great. <laughs> That's good. It is. It's rage inducing, isn't it? Really. You know, because it was just like, I think they just thought, oh, wow, you know, this is going to make my career. I, I don't know. You know, with the whole, uh, oh, there's just no evidence. He, and obviously when he's getting more and more stuff for doing it, you can just, like anybody watching from afar can see what's happening here. And it's just, it's a little upsetting. It's just one of those that are just makes you really angry. But it was really good. I thought it was still well, it's a well done documentary. It's really interesting. I obviously have heard of him. But I didn't know as much about it as, like, I didn't really know everything about him. Mm. And especially the stuff that you've even, like, continued on talking about, his early life and stuff. It's interesting. You, It's almost like if you had a small child and you say, if you do this good thing for me and you help us and you do this good thing, I'm going to give you a milkshake. And they go, okay, I'll do that good thing. And they're like, good job. Now, if you just keep doing that. I'll get you a cheeseburger. He's like, okay, I'd love a cheeseburger. And and they're saying, oh, you know, you're, you're doing such a good job. Thank you so much. You're so helpful. You're so good. You're doing such a good thing. And you're like, okay, I'll keep, I'll keep doing that. Everybody seems to really like me. And I seem to be like doing some good and I, and I get milkshakes. So I'm going to just go ahead and, and keep confessing. And it's just, yeah, yeah it's rage inducing because they were talking a lot about how police officers and detectives from all over the U.S. would come to see him with the, the cases that they couldn't solve, and he would confess to them. So they're like, yes, I can get this off of my desk. I can, I can say oh, it's, it's closed. It doesn't matter painful. that there's evidence that he was in a different state or he w- there's evidence that he was working someplace else. That's fine. It doesn't matter. He confessed. And it's just like, how? How can we do this? It's just nuts. And you also have, like, an individual who had, obviously, an awful childhood and terrible things happened and probably very much lacked attention in his life. And so it's, like, suddenly all these people are visiting him. He's getting things, you know. Like, I mean, it's pretty simple. Like, it's really obvious, like, what he's doing and why he's doing it. And, like, especially, you know, it's the most attention he's probably ever received, you know. And and almost – and you – like you said, like – it's like the positive reinforcement almost. So he's just going to continue to do that thing. Mm. I know you guys didn't finish it, but do you have a rating out of five for what you did see? Anyone first. <laughs> no, sorry, we were done. Okay. So um, I would give it like a three and a half. It was good. I think three and a half or four. It was still, it was well done, but you're right. I think there is padded, it's padded out. I didn't quite finish it, but it is padded out. But it's interesting if you don't know anything about him or any of it, then it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I'm definitely going to finish it. I was just annoyed in, like, the first episode or maybe the second episode. It just stops talking about, like, Ted Bundy and things like that. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, God, fuck off. I just, it really put me off, like, Mm. continuing with it. But I I think I definitely will finish it, though. So I'd give it, yeah, I'd give it, like, a three and a half, four. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's, It's definitely interesting, especially if you don't know the story at all and... It is rage-inducing, so that's your your warning. You're warning it. This is rage-inducing, but certainly worth a listen and a watch. So if you've got time, 
It's on Netflix, five parts, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. So the second thing we wanted to review this week is another Netflix program. It's called Broken. It's uh, one of Netflix's like original programs, it, but it's produced by Zero Point Zero. Um, it's a four-part docu-series that looks at how consumer products, um, how they're made, and how they're vulnerable to fraud, negligence, and corruption, which in turn puts public health and safety at risk. So this is kind of moving away a little bit from what we normally discuss. But I think it's important because I think when we think of crime, we just think of like murder or theft or vandalism. Um, we don't necessarily think about corporate crime. So I did initially write a 3,000 word rant on this and I've cut it down because you would not want to listen to me <laughs> go on this rant. So um, the, each episode focuses on a different industry. The first is called Makeup Mayhem and it looks at the counterfeit makeup industry, which is exploding in popularity right now. And we can kind of put that down to like influencer hype and scarcity marketing tactics that they do. Um, the second is called Big Vape, which explores how vaping products designed for adults, obviously, are being used more and more by teens and how they have become the targeted audience. The second episode also explores how the tobacco industry is cashing in on vaping, which I found really interesting. The third episode is called Deadly Dressers and focuses on poorly made flimsy products that have toppled and killed a number of children. That's quite an emotive episode and I would shy away from that if you think that you would be sensitive to it because a lot of the children that have, you know, had these accidents are, are very, very young. We're talking like one, two years old. And the last episode is called Recycling Sham and how companies produce and market single-use plastic to be recyclable when it actually isn't. Um, when it isn't recyclable, it ends up in landfills and beaches on the other side of the world. So the starkest part of that episode is the influence that the petrochemical industry has and the lengths that they will take to overturn something as simple as a single-use plastic bag ban in a small Texas town. So I'm not going to delve into the specifics of each episode because I personally could rant for hours and hours, <laughs> as as proved. But I've, for a while, been taking a really hard look at what I consume and how I consume it. So I'm con like consciously working towards um, at least like a low-waste lifestyle. And I'm sorry if I've ever bored either of you two with it. But if these four episodes prove anything, it's that the level and the amount of what we're consuming simply isn't sustainable not just for our planet, but also the human cost that's associated with it. One of the quotes from the series is that there is a price tag attached to the low price, and that price tag is the ecological impact of churning out tons and tons of plastic, the impact on people living in areas destroyed by illegal forestry, the impact of losing a child to a cheap dresser that falls over, and to the people living in the shadow of these petrochemical plants who have elevated risks of developing health issues. And sometimes it's like eight times, you're eight times more likely to get cancer or something ridiculous Jesus. like that. It's horrific. So I think one of the, the starkest parts of this is, you know, harm is occurring and it's caused by a company or a corporation. And you kind of expect some sort of liability or some kind of punishment. Um, but corporate, corporate crime if you want to call it that, is a really kind of like tricky fish is like the easiest way of explaining it. For example, it's really hard to quantify the scale of corporate harm. I actually dug out one of my university textbooks because I wanted mm. to like go, go ham on this. But from available data, and I put all the references um, on the website, 
from this data, you can act, we can accurate, accurately say that people are killed globally each year on a huge scale by corporate activity. And even on the basis of the known frauds and thefts, the harms associated with economic loss are also very, very vast. So this is way more harm than we would associate with what we would normally think about when we say the word crime. So murder, assault, rape, vandalism, that sort of thing. And it boils down to like white collar crime and things like that. It's, it's very frustrating. So moving back towards the documentary itself, um, for once it's really nice to see corporation in the firing line, like corporations themselves. So whilst consumer choices are important, consumers are not the problem, are not the sole problem. So IKEA gets pretty heavily shredded in the Deadly Dresses episode about not only encouraging huge, like, huge amounts of consumerism. I mean, we've all been to an IKEA. It's a maze yeah. and it is designed to make you spend money. But they're also, they also got in quite a lot of shit for um, greenwashing their customers. Um, I don't know if either of you have heard that term before. No. Mm-mm. It's a term used to describe a company that actually creates huge amounts of ecological harm but present themselves as being eco-friendly. Mm, oh. That's interesting. So I don't know if you, I don't follow them on Instagram because I think they're trash, but companies like Boohoo and Pretty Little, like Pretty Little Thing they're like yeah. fast fashion clothing manufacturers and they shared um, posts on their Instagram which were basically like an outline of Australia with a heart in the middle um, saying that they've donated all this money to the wildlife you know fund there due to all these Australian wildfires which are horrific but they are one of like the fast fashion industry is a huge contributor to climate change and climate change caused these fires. Um, so they're, they're trying to present themselves as being like really friendly and like eco-friendly and they're like we're really shocked by this and it's like but you're literally causing it um, and in the end they actually turned off their comments on both those posts because people went <laughs> fucking bananas <laughs> really like, at, like people they went wow. in Good. and it was like it was really nice to see but now all of those comments have disappeared and you can't see it uh. i thought the documentary was really educational in a non-patronizing way it was well produced and the cinematography is really good. And for a show that's kind of effectively highlighting huge problems with corporation and company, they're not 100% biased. They do let the companies have their say as well. I know that there was like a representative from Ikea, you know, on the program about the, on the episode about the dressers. So I thought it was, I really respected them for like opening up the floor like that. It would have been really easy to not do that, to keep everything really one-sided so it had yeah. more of an impact. So I thought that was that was good. No, that's good. It's always good when they're yeah. balanced because then otherwise you can ju- – it's just like you're just doing a whole program of like slating something. Well, yeah, of course mm-hmm. they can look really bad when you're only presenting one side of the argument, which we see in like other crime documentaries all the time, don't we? Yeah, yeah. definitely. I know this show, it could be criticised as being problem-focused, but part of me thinks that's quite good on two fronts. Firstly, it allows the series to be more hard-hitting. Here are the facts and you should be scared. But secondly, it allows you to come to your own solution. And that is to be more conscious about what and how you consume. You know, if companies only care about their money, then that's where you as a consumer need to hit them. And also, someone needs to continuously tweet Sainsbury's about their fucking oats not being in a recyclable plastic bag. Are you serious? Fucking infuriates me. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Sainsbury's, if you're listening, fix I'm your shit. You. Yeah, we are. We're coming after you. Do you know what? When you said that, 
my phone, my Siri on my phone just, just like lit up and was like, how can I help you? Because you're like, somebody <laughs> needs to. <laughs> Someone needs to tell Sainsbury's. And Siri's like, hi, how can I help you? <laughs> like, right. You're like, tweet well, Sainsbury's. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the one that I watched was that um, the first episode about makeup and uh, what's the word I want to think? Counterfeit. Uh, products which I makeup is one of the things that frightens me the most and I don't understand it and I don't know how it works but I didn't even think about the fact that there are companies that make something look so similar to the real thing and it's literally full of like rat piss and cancer and sells it and but like for me, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a legit one and a knockoff one other than the price. But if you think of like, I don't know, a 13 year old on Amazon and they're really excited about getting that new color palette and they don't really realize that it shouldn't be that cheap. Like you can see how this gets into into the hands of actual consumers. Yeah, definitely. I was never a girl who when she bought like a Kylie lip kit or something. And um, oh, she put it on her lips, and it, it literally had super glue in it. Yeah, because super glue is a cheaper version of something, but it gives it the same texture, like the same sort of look as mm-hmm. the actual ingredient. And yeah, my stomach dropped. And he, and she's like, the interviewer, and, and she's saying, you know, I couldn't separate my lips. And I'm trying not to panic, so I'm Googling how to get my lips unstuck. And I'm like, girl, I would have been in a full-blown panic, panic attack. <laughs> like, I can't open my mouth. Rather than Googling yeah. something, I'd have my head under a tap yeah, like or something. Yeah, like trying to figure something out, getting it off. Yeah, mm. that. but it does um, it does make you aware of things that, like, happen. And I think we're all sort of very much more aware of, like, plastic issues and the hazards of vaping, only because, obviously, that's much more, like, in the news and stuff. But the makeup one, especially, I don't think we're as aware of, like, that sort of thing. And this past weekend, my sister-in-law was saying something was – She's got sensitive eyes, but she wore this makeup and she said it – she wasn't going to wear it again because it, like, irritated her eyes and she didn't know what product did it, but, like, something. And I was like – and I was on it. I was like, where would you get that makeup from? And she's like, I, I ordered it online. I was like, all right, okay. And then – and I was like, off what – the actual site. And it was, like, something um, – Bare Minerals or something. I don't know. It was – and, and I was like, you ordered it off their, their actual site or, like, a reputable one, yeah? And she said – she's like, well, I got it from this discounted site. And I was like, yeah, what? I was like, throw it away. (laughs) No. It's really scary. It definitely brings up issues that I wasn't um, very aware of. And I found it really interesting in that makeup one, they were talking about how there isn't a whole lot they can do to stop it coming in because I guess China is the big um, player in that they can so easily and so quickly make up huge quantities of counterfeit makeup products. And ship them over to the U.S., and if it gets through the U.S., then they're able to sell it. On the odd chance that the customs agents catch it, they, they can't, like, go back towards that company or anything because they can just move shop, they can change name, they can change packaging. There's no real consequences other than that stuff gets destroyed. But to that Chinese company, it doesn't really mean anything because they've got 50 more coming that are going to get through because they won't get caught. And it's just – it's it's, oh, ra- it's, it's rage-inducing yeah. at that point. Yeah, another one, rage-inducing, yeah. I thought it was really good, though. It was – um, I know you brought it to our attention to check it out, and you, like, talked about reviewing it, and I thought it mm-hmm. was 
I probably wouldn't have like seen it or like watched it otherwise. And I was really glad that I did. Yeah, I think it's nice to watch something something different. As much as I like like the murder based or true crime based ones, I think this kind of opens up the floor for more of a conversation about other issues which cause devastating amounts of harm. Mm. And realistically there's no recompense for it. There's no there's no punishment, you yeah. know. So scary. I'd give it a four out of five. Yeah, I think I'll uh, I'd say definitely a four. I think it's definitely worth checking out. It's highlights you know, serious issues. And we are, you know, especially uh, you mentioned the Australian fires, like we're facing real issues, like with, you know, everyday consequences of some of the things, some of the stuff. So it's definitely relevant. Yeah, I definitely give it a four. I really, I mean, to say that I liked is probably not the right way. I appreciated that it brings up topics that we don't always see. Weird crime time. So for weird crime time today, I do apologize in advance, but we have another animal involved crime time. <laughs> I don't know what it is. The best kind. I, I know. I'm sorry, people listening. <laughs> and I'm going to double up on the birds this week. So, Plymouth man denies attack with seagull. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a man has denied wielding a seagull in a fight with a cafe customer. <laughs> it's not funny, but it is funny. So sorry. Paul Elkham, <laughs> right, Paul Elkham, 26, allegedly threw the bird at Kyle Towers at Good Bodies Cafe in Plymouth on 12th of May last year. Mr. Elkham from Green Bank in Plymouth appeared at the city's Crown Court to deny wounding with intent to cause GBH. <laughs> no plea was entered to another charge of attempting to injure a wild bird. Mr. Elkham was remanded on bail for trial at Plymouth Crown Court on the 7th of April. So, I'm just trying to picture this. I've got so, I've got so many pictures in my head. <laughs> yeah, does does guy one just grab a, a seagull by the legs and just chuck <laughs> it at somebody? Yeah. Like, but how the hell are you going to ca- catch a seagull? Like, what? what? Oh, they're pretty cocky, though, yeah, aren't is they? It, is that your nearest object? Like... I mean, I can think of... Maybe it was. <laughs> I have so many questions. They're quite big, though. Like, a, a seagull's pretty big. Yeah, proper They're ones. not, like, they're not as big as you... They're, they're not as small no, they as you are, think Yeah, they you're are. right. And especially... If you're, like, up close, to, up close with the seagull. I think if I was up close with the seagull, it could probably beat me in a fight. You'd have to be pretty ballsy to, like, reach down and pick it up. <laughs> like... Yeah, <laughs> did he grab it by like its beak? Did he grab it by the feet? Yeah, because I'm thinking feet. Do you grab like it a ball, like a ball? Like by its body? Do you grab it by yeah. the body? Or like the loaf of bread? You <laughs> grab it with like... both hands on either side and you pick it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like hit him over the head, like with a brick or something. But it's a seagull. I don't know. I have a lot of questions. But do you know even more so that they're literally charging him with like an attempt to injure a wild bird? Like I didn't even know that was a thing. Good. Aww. Good. Exactly. <laughs> Like, not I hope the that. RSPCA and the RSPB are on his ass. That's a really shit thing to do. He's in a cafe. There would have been a thousand things for you to pick up. Yeah, but like, but that, question: okay. Did did he? Okay, so say there's a there's an argument. Does he just pick up a seagull because it's next to him and whips it at him, or he's anticipating an argument? He grabs the <laughs> seagull on his way to the cafe because he knows he's going for a fight. I don't know. Does he have one inside his coat pocket? Yeah, does he have, like, a spare seagull? <laughs> yeah. Like, 
you know, in case that a one runs bird. flies away. So he's a spare one. Then I'm thinking, okay, so he's getting he's getting a charge of attempting to injure a wild bird. And then I just see this like little seagull in like and like a little suit, like with a tie, like sitting at the desk, like <laughs> in, in, the witness witness in the witness stand. No, he'd be in witness protection. <laughs> he'd be dressed up like a pigeon or something. <laughs> God. <laughs> he's got one of those little cowboy hats the other pigeons have. Or he like um yeah. you know, he's he like reads his victim impact statement at the, like, <laughs> He's like he's got P- uh, like bird PTSD. I'm sorry, PTSD is not funny. I'm sorry, it's going too far. He's just like, I used to love going to the cafe where I used to forage for I used to steal people's chips. <laughs> but now they had the best <laughs> chips. <laughs> that poor I fucking know. bird. <laughs> and I want. <laughs> How alarming would that be to just be not only touched by a human but picked up and thrown? And how alarming must it have been to be to be like hit by a bird, like to have a, a seagull thrown at you? That's yeah. pretty terrifying. It can't do much damage, surely. It would be like throwing a pillow. Yeah, no, but they've got like a really sharp yeah. beak. I've been hit. I've been hit by a pigeon before. And haven't they got like little tiny? They've got like little sharp little bits on their feet as well. Right. So that that's our weird crime time. Um, I know we say this every week, but hopefully next week we'll try to steer our next full episode. We'll try and steer away from animals, but um, probably not. So <laughs> we, you know, you know, yeah. we won't. Yeah. You know, we won't do that. And please don't throw any birds. Yeah. Can we not throw birds at people, guys? You know, it's not cool. Right. That's all we have for today. Please check out our website at murderfriends.com. You can email us, murderfriendspod at gmail.com. If you have any weird crimes you want to let us know about, maybe that's not animal related or maybe that is, send them our way. Follow us on Instagram, murderfriendspod, or Twitter at murderfriendspd. And I think that's all we have today. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.